Welcome to the HTW Podcast, where your hosts, Erica Huss and Zoe Sakutis, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We stepped away from the juicer and into the sound studio to talk about this rapidly evolving world of wellness. We'll sit down with wellness experts and entrepreneurs for candid conversations and tales from the trenches, how they got their start, how they turned their ailments into ideas, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll bring you news, updates, and our unsolicited opinions on everything we discover in sickness and in wealth. Located at the intersection of wellness and business, HTW is your navigator on the bumpy highway to well. Knock, knock. Uh, who's there? I recently Not had my me, mind blown. Erica, who blew your mind? Alyssa Vidi from Flow Living blew my mind. That was an amazing conversation. She is this. Yes, I was there with you. I you know. My mind too. I mean, your mind was clearly blown because you forgot to answer the question. It, literally, it's still, it's being pieced back together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she has flowliving.com, which yeah. is basically dedicated to bringing, you know, women's menstrual health into the light of day so that we can actually talk about this and have a real conversation as opposed to having like that weird moment where you stick your tampon in your sleeve so that no one knows that you're a woman when you have to go to the bathroom <laughs> like a couple times a month. Happens every month. It's ridiculous. She has this entire platform dedicated to raising awareness around, you know, how much of an impact your hormones have on your everyday experience, even like coming down to the times of day. Yeah. She's got a great story because she had a huge hormonal issue growing up that sent her all out of sorts. It was like, I don't know. She was like over a hundred pounds heavier than she was. When yeah. She, she was her. overweight. She had horrible skin, periods. Stay home from school like every day insane. kind of thing. Just a nightmare story. I can't imagine what that's like to go through that as like a teenager and even as a preteen or adult, you know. So anyway, but she she figured it out. She is a smarty yeah, pants. smart cookie. She got to the bottom of it. She was like, I'm going to go. Um, maybe I want to be an uh, obstetrician, gynecologist, something in that field. She was like going to be pre-med. Want- and then she was just like, you know what? I need to focus on this subject because at that point she had healed herself. I need to focus on the subject around hormones because it's not getting enough attention. I'm going to single-handedly like figure it out without the help of my doctor because they don't right. she, she got all tons of bad advice and yeah. and and she did she figured it out and she figured it all out through her hormones which is yeah. there's the mind blowing part mind blown yes. it's I mean, crazy what what was mind blowing just was for her to tell us just you know the way that you have these two clocks in your in your body right so you have your normal your 24 hour clock that we all have men and women and then we have our separate kind of biological clocks so we have two clocks first of all that's a lot of things to keep track of that's why women can multitask because we're on like two time zones all the time. I know. And talking about like the fluctuation of hormones throughout, you know, a day in that 24-hour cycle and then also in your menstrual cycle, which operates on a totally different, you know, time zone for lack of a better way to explain it. And just, you know, the optimal types of food and exercise and even just activities, you know, organizational tasks, whatever you want to call it to kind of align with the phase that you are in your cycle is just fascinating. And it makes yeah. so much sense. I mean, that's, I think, for her, I think that's what, you know, kind of what she's so proud of is like, she's cracked this amazing code, but it's nothing that doesn't actually just make real common sense. Like, yeah. of course. And I I, I, hate, I I mean this genuinely. I don't mean to sound snarky at all. I think that what she does is so selfless because she could easily have gone to medical school, become a doctor, become an OB, make the money that that 
career afford that that career makes, which is a lot. And instead, she kind of paused and was like, you know what? I think there's a, a kind of higher calling mm-hmm. here, and someone really needs to to shed light on this subject that is so important to so many women. Um, and so, I mean, she she does it really well, and really, they're really, I don't know of anyone who's sort of doing it the way that she is. It's so specific. Yeah, and then the app, which we've I know both been using, and I feel like even just in the few weeks that I've been using this app, I feel like I've noticed a difference just in at least being aware, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not making enormous changes right now in you know my overall like performance and functionality, but I at least know okay, like this is a day that maybe I should be eating a little bit less raw and a little bit more you know like right. She gets into the food part. This the is app a day is, I should be doing a different type of exercise. So she's also an integrative nutritionist. Mm-hmm. And a hormone expert and a best-selling author. Yeah. I mean, what more could you want? She's amazing. Um, we could have done like four-hour-long episode with her, uh, but we might have to bring her back. We might bring her back, actually. So why don't you guys tell us what you want her to focus on next time? Because I have a feeling we're going to hear from her again. Yeah. Because she's awesome. Let's give her a listen. What is Flow Living? Mm. What it's a destination for? Why are, why we, are we going, going there? there? What are we discovering when we're there? And also, I think, you know, how you came up with this idea. Sure. So Flow Living is a modernized menstrual health care for women around the world. Um, we take care of women in every continent, places where, you know, we, as a women in the American culture or the Western culture, we think we have limited access to healthcare and education about these things. It's really remarkable to me that women in Palestine and, you know, Ghana and India are finding ways to use the service and the platform to restore their own hormonal balance. So I really love that about the brand. But at the same time, we're here to help women understand what is going on with their hormones and how to use food and supplements, which is a form of biohacking, to recalibrate their endocrine function and put their conditions into remission naturally. Is it safe to say that your hormones are dictating how your body metabolizes food or what your body does with food? They play a part, certainly. Your hormones do so many different things. Um, You know, hormones like insulin help you respond to the sugars that are being consumed from, from your food. Certain hormones cause you to store fat versus convert fat in cells to usable energy. So your hormones are involved in so many different things. Um, But primarily, the most important job that your endocrine system, which is the, the, let's say, the geographic area in your body that is using hormones and creating hormones for you, they, the most important job that it has is to make sure sugar, glucose, is getting to the brain, the heart, and the muscle tissue. If you do anything with your diet that messes with that, the rest of your hormonal situation cannot proceed as normal, and you'll start to see that in your period, in your fertility, in your sex drive. And just to go back to your original question of, you know, why did I start this? Why why this business? I was a student at Johns Hopkins University. I was planning to become an OBGYN, always had a passion for women's health. And then I myself ran into what it feels like to have a hormonal problem in today's culture, which is probably very similar to how it has been historically, which is you get no support, right? So here I was um, at 20, 21, over 200 pounds, covered in cystic acne, face, chest, and back. And I had not menstruated from the age of 12 to 22 more than six times. 
total. Wow. Wow. So you got your period when you were 12? Nope. I got my period when I was two months shy of turning 16. And then between 16 and 22, I got it a total of six times, three of which were synthetic progesterone induced and were horrible. So I really was not having a functional menstrual cycle. Okay. Just for the record, because you said that you were 200 pounds. Yeah. I mean, you're what, like you're tiny. Like that was, this is a big shift that's happened. The years I struggled with weight before I figured out how to do what I now teach women how to do versus how quickly 60 pounds came off of my body. Mm -hmm. It's unfathomable to know that all that's between a woman and her desired weight goals is really her understanding of how to work with her hormones. Oh, that's and, amazing. And just to get to be able to give that information to people is really powerful. So I But it's also, sorry, unfathomable that I mean, you must have seen a host of specialists oh during that time that at that time it was not just obvious or even within reach, oh, let's look at the hormone system and let's look at the under. Oh, no, they were pretty clear. They're like, well, something must be off with your hormones, but there's nothing that we can do for right, you. Right. So here, take this pill. And then and then I, I went officially undiagnosed for seven years. Ugh. I found, you know, because I, one of the symptoms that I had along with the weight and the skin and the missing periods was uh, severe insomnia. Mm-hmm. So one night, because what does a good nerdy Hopkins student do when she can't sleep? She goes to the medical library and researches things in obstetrics journals. And I found an article that was describing Stein-Leventhal disease, which is the original name for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it really described me to a T. So I brought the article to my gynecologist the next morning and waited for her in the parking lot. And I was like, I need a transvaginal <laughs> ultrasound before you start with the rest of your patients today. And I mean, that's, I an, un- that's an unusual request to get. That's like- so she she was kind of like, kind of like I guess I'll do up it. In the parking lot. <laughs> I, I, when I was, I was kind of that nightmare patient too. I was like, "Here's what we need to test me right. for today. Yeah. Here's what's n- here's, here's what's happening up. before anything else in your day." Yeah. yeah, she's like drinking her coffee, keying into her office. I'm like, "Yep, I'm not leaving." She's like, "All right, let's go." So we did it, and she said, "You're right. You do have PCOS. Look at your ovaries; they're covered in tiny cysts." And did you give her an invoice for your time? I mean, <laughs> you know, no. So I was so elated to finally have the what it was that was wrong with me. I didn't have the why, but I had the what. So we sat down in her office after the the ultrasound and I said, so now what do we do? And she sort of gave me this really grim prognosis of, you know, continued obesity, uh, you know, uh, risk for significant risk for diabetes, heart disease, cancer. And then, oh, by the way, if you ever want to have children, it's very unlikely and we can try, you know, artificial. How old were you? I was 21 getting that information. And I said, and what do you propose to do to help me? She said, well, we can put you on synthetic birth control and then we can continue to medicate you with medication for diabetes, medication for cholesterol, medications. Oh my God, it's too much. And I was just sitting there and it was one of those moments where like time stopped and all that woo-woo stuff happened. And I just heard a real clear, like, no, that's not my future. Mm -hmm. And I opened my mouth and repeated what I heard. I said, no, that's not my future. And she's like, well, you got to take the pill. And I said, I don't. I said, will the pill fix the cause of what this is? She mm-hmm. said, no, there's no cure. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I can't believe that the body cannot be repaired in some way. I'm going to go figure this out. You know, I had a very expensively trained mind at that point. So I said, let me go figure this out. I had, <laughs> access, to like, I had access to all this great research. And I said, I'm going to go figure this out. And she kind of... I don't know what the face to describe her face, but she's like, all right, well, I'll be here when you want me to write Mm -hmm. the prescription. Okay, honey, tap, tap, tap. Yeah. (laughs) 
she she was well-meaning. Anyway, so I then just really switched gears for my own salvation, if you will, because it wasn't just that I was heavy and acneic and wasn't getting my period. It was when your hormones don't work right. You know, this also affects your brain chemistry, your mood, your energy, your outlook on life. It was really a debilitating experience. And any woman who experiences PMS or severe PMDD or has painful cramps with fibroids or endometriosis, this is not like a little nothing thing that you kind of just deal with. It really interrupts the quality of your experience of your life. And for my situation, since it wasn't just episodic, you know, one certain time, exactly, it was Mm -hmm. every day, all day, I was literally trapped in my body and I needed, I needed a way out. So a way forward. So I was very fortuitous uh, that I was able to kind of really put the pieces together. But yes, it did take a lot of years of trial and error and working with a lot of different alternative practitioners who were not able to help me. And then as I was diving into the research on epigenetics and functional medicine and nutrigenomics, I was able to kind of really identify what are the pieces of the endocrine system that you can influence with diet and in what order do they need to be manipulated so that you can allow your endocrine system to do its job. So the order in which you manipulate Very important. Matters very it's important. Not, yep, just throw it all in the bucket. It's time really. Yeah, yeah. Because and in fact, and I was confounded by this because I thought, okay, gee, I have this excess estrogen, so let me just detox mm-hmm. myself. I did elimination diet. So that's what it was for you. No, you just had, well, you had PCOS. One of the things, one of the side effects of having your hormones imbalance, whether it's PCOS or fibroids or endometriosis or ovarian cysts or. PMDD is excess levels of estrogen begin to build up because mm-hmm. your endocrine system is not metabolizing things efficiently. And estrogen, what we know now about it is that the imbalance, particularly with too much estrogen, can lead to very, very dangerous Absolutely. health issues. Absolutely. Short term, it, it wreaks havoc on your menstrual cycle. Longer term, it can disrupt your fertility. Longer term, it can be a cancer risk um, and all sorts of things. So yeah, that's why the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists decreed that your period should be considered your fifth vital sign finally two years ago because the implications of having It's so amazing that wasn't even on the two list. Two years, no, I know. Just two years. Jesus. So anyway, long story short, I figured all this out. I put the protocol into practice in my own body, and I was just awestruck at how quickly I was able to transform my physical reality from what it was to what you see today. So dropped weight, cleared skin, restored ovulation, period. Went in to check with the ultrasound again, no more cysts on the ovaries. Had put the condition into remission. Totally. Okay. So by doing what? So like what was specifically the protocol? And this protocol, by the way, the other thing that I was that I really clearly came to is that the way that we go about dealing with hormonal issues is we say, oh, you have this, you have fibroids, you have endo, you need two different treatments. In fact, that is not true. The endocrine system functions the same way in every person, but for whatever reason, you're not getting the support that it needs to do its job. Mm -hmm. So in my practice now, over 17 years of taking care of tens of thousands of women with this issue, and many of them in, in, since we went completely virtual in 2012, have been doing the protocol on their own through our online health platform, all get results regardless of their condition. That's amazing. Because the protocol really is not looking at the symptoms, it's looking at the root cause, mm-hmm. the dysfunction. Let's address the dysfunction in the endocrine system and let your body do what it's designed to do, which is to balance its own hormones. Yeah. I, I don't even 
even like to use that language anymore because healing people have this like you know, weird feeling about healing. And I don't use the word heal. I'm talking about remission, which means if you start putting things in your system Mm -hmm. that disrupt your endocrine function, you should expect to get symptoms back. You should expect, if I were to all of a sudden start, I don't know, drinking caffeine and eating sugar, I would absolutely expect to to have a recurrence of symptoms, 100%. -hmm. And because I'm now actively disrupting my endocrine system. Turned it on. Right. You turned on the dysfunction. But if you continue to nourish your endocrine system as a priority, making sure that you're not interfering with its job, then your body can flourish. Your hormones can balance themselves like they're supposed to. And you don't have to be worried about, do I have to put on some progesterone cream to level out my Mm progesterone? You don't have to try to do the math, which is what conventional endocrinology tries to do. And anyone who's been you know, had a thyroid issue will tell you your thyroid's off. The endocrinologist says, okay, let's, it's just an equation. Your, your levels need take to be X. Droid. Take this medication. Then all of a sudden it's no longer as effective. You have to take more. It doesn't fix the it's root not cause. not a long-term solution. Right. No. Okay. So how did you, so, and then so what did you actually do? So I, <laughs> the, the protocol is, is I'll describe it in a second. And then I, what I did promise myself after I started seeing results or before I actually started putting the protocol into practice, I said, you know, if this works, I said to myself, Alisa, <laughs> if this works, I want to do something for women who may have, may find themselves in a situation where I found myself, but because I, I really appreciated that here I had access to Hopkins trained gynecologists and I grew up in Massachusetts. So I had access to Harvard trained gynecologists and I wasn't getting diagnosed for seven years. And then when I finally helped my doctor diagnose me, she had nothing to really help me get truly well. So I said, if I can figure this out, I'd like to build a company that helps after you go for your GYN visit to help you with the other every day of your life between your visits where you might need support on understanding how your hormones work and how to take care of them so that you don't have to just suffer needlessly. And that was the sort of the big discovery in this whole process was that most women now are really suffering unnecessarily with period problems with... Well, I think we just tolerate. I think we kind of assume... Certainly. Oh, well, I just, you know, for whatever reason, I get really bad cramps. And so here's how I'm going to fix it. And it has nothing to do with addressing the root cause, to your point. Well, it's certainly um, part of the cultural mythology, right, surrounding periods, which it's so important to address the fact that we are taught from before we're even aware of it, that something's going to happen to you when you're mm-hmm. a teenager and it's going to be bad and you have this curse all this mystery and then and nobody knows exactly what it is and well, right and then that breeds behavior that is inactive right so meaning if you believe that something is supposed to be painful then you take no action when the pain arrives right but if you were taught instead from a young age and I have a daughter and you can only imagine what mama flo is teaching her <laughs> um you know from the she's only 4 uh she knows a lot <laughs> um but you can imagine if you were to be raised to understand that this transformation that happens to you is really positive experience and should feel good. The minute something doesn't feel good, your behavior would be taking immediate, like conclusive action. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, and that's one of the reasons why we have so many free resources at Flow Living, because we want women to just get this missing piece of the conversation that it is supposed to be a positive, pleasurable experience every month, every day of the month. And so you're saying basically that PMS is not a normal thing. It's a hormonal imbalance it's that hormonal can be corrected imbalance. by diet right. and supplementation. So it's not like, oh, it's just PMS. You're supposed right. to be a little moody. You're supposed right. to be a little right. cranky. Just take some Advil. A little crampy, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen every month. 
it's you're a woman. That's what comes with part of the it's part of the deal. So you're saying that everything in the PMS bucket, which is a pretty long list, is abnormal. So I would guess that the vast majority of women on this planet right now are walking around with some hormonal imbalance. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That needs to be correct because they think that they're just supposed to. Correct. Okay. So let's talk protocol. Okay. What did you do? So, I mean, again, I started with, okay, what is the most important job of the endocrine system? And as I said, it's to really make sure to safeguard the transport of glucose to the brain, the heart, and the muscle tissue. So the first thing that we do in the protocol is stabilize your blood sugar levels. We spend almost a month doing this in in the program. The program lasts about three months. It's so critical. If you don't get this right, every meal, every day, you have to wait until you go to bed that night to reset your blood sugar system to have a chance of having proper endocrine function the next day. Mm-hmm. You can't mess with, you can't cheat, you can't screw this up. It's so important. You have to know how long can you go after you wake up? What's your max interval of of breakfast fasting, right? For some people, it's 30 minutes. For some people, it's 90. You have to know what the timing is for the first meal of the day. You have to know which combination of macronutrients, how many carbohydrates, how much fat, how much protein, what can your body tolerate? And then the same for lunch and dinner and snacks. We have to really anchor that down. Blood sugar. Blood sugar. It's like you got to be all over it like like. I don't know, butter on bread, things that you won't be eating. Like avocado <laughs> on toast. Like avocado on toast. Like no, That would be good, like wet on rice. Not <laughs> right. So that's the first step. And then the second step is to then address the what is called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So that's a really technical jargony thing. But just to say we're, we're really looking at your cortisol response. We have to mitigate the effect, the negative effect, the endocrine disruptive effect of cortisol on your system. So anytime cortisol levels go up, for example, now we're going to be disrupting ovulation. Anytime you are demanding that the body produces cortisol because your stress levels are high and you're secreting a lot of adrenaline, you need cortisol to balance that out. Over so just time, to clarify yeah, for people who don't sure, know, sure, sure. cortisol is like a big I think of it as recently, like the most evil of all evils. It's not. It's one. It's one piece of the puzzle. It's equally weighted as insulin. It's, but there are a handful of hormones that are very important. Cortisol. They're is one all. Of them. They're so all important. Cortisol is the one who I think recently it gets the most press. Certainly. So it's gotten a lot of attention recently, and everyone connects it to stress. So it's like we all stressed. feel. We all feel so tired, right? So adrenal fatigue is mm-hmm. like this new thing. If you don't know what's wrong with you, you say, "Well, I have adrenal fatigue." I think now functional medicine is really trying to be more nuanced about what we're saying around that. But, you know, for me, it's always been very straightforward. When cortisol becomes a regularly requested hormone from the brain, right, the pituitary gland, because stress levels are high, because adrenaline is being produced, because you're freaking out about your commute or you're stressing out about something with your kids or work or whatever it is, the more that happens, the less your body is able to produce if you're not supplementing for the adrenals to have enough building blocks to make adequate levels of cortisol. And then over time, it's going to start to steal a molecularly similar molecule, which is progesterone. Now, we talked about PMS a few minutes ago, right? What is PMS? PMS is simply the imbalanced ratio between estrogen and progesterone. And typically, it's too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. So here we are, cortisol, cortisol, cortisol. Then all of a sudden, your adrenals can't make enough cortisol. It starts stealing your progesterone reserves. And then all of a sudden, your cycle gets longer, 
you're not bleeding on time, or you start off having brown spotting before the start of your bleed, or you start to have more intensification with your PMS, or if you're in perimenopause, you start to have worsening of your perimenopausal symptoms. And just as you're not supposed to have PMS, perimenopause is supposed to be a breeze too, Mm -hmm. FYI. So I think it's really, really important to address this cortisol piece in the, you know, because it's again, like sugar in our diet, stress, not supporting the adrenal response really is an endocrine disruptive piece of the equation. But the thing with cortisol and the reason why I said, I feel like I fear, you know, the imbalance of cortisol is because there's been a lot of attention, like you were saying, Zoe, recently in the news, again, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, you focus on it, you hyper-focus on like this one piece without looking at the mm-hmm. puzzle holistically. That's but, right. you know, one bad night of sleep can like mess up your cortisol, which then in turn has this sort of like domino effect on the rest of your day. And it like biologically, supposedly it takes you like three days to catch up from one lo- one bad night of sleep. I sleep terribly always. And so I live in fear that my cortisol is just like raging all the time. And I love it because that's like a beautiful fear cycle. Like of, it's adding stress. Is it to beautiful? Because I think it's, it's pretty fucking gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's per- it's it's perfectly vicious, right? <laughs> well, and you were saying that you had insomnia too. Oh yeah. And but listen, stress happens. You can't inoculate yourself against stress and if you have children, I mean they I, I think I just saw a recent study that came out that women in the mother, new mothers in the first year of having a child lose 700 hours of sleep. <gasps> oh. So you're talking about three days of recovery and I'm looking at, gee, Erica, how do, do we- do you want to borrow my children how, so I can have even less? How do we recover borrow my, from 700 you hours? you want to borrow my one-year-old <laughs> right. and three-year-old? And my answer to that <clears throat> is that you have to eat like an Olympic athlete mm-hmm. and you have to supplement like your life depends on it because we, again, we can't inoculate ourselves against the things that are happening in our lives. We have to learn how to respond better to them. So that's what we do in the second piece of the protocol. It isn't stress management like, oh, don't be stressed. Because that's, that's, I don't know, not that's not reality that's for me. Bullshit. I run no, a company, I have life, no I have a yeah. kid. It's, yeah. So it's, okay, for example, here's a great example. I had to fly out to a conference last weekend, to, you know, transcontinental flight. Long flights are bad for my body. They're radiation exposure. It's like time zone change. It's very stressful. Not good for the endocrine system. I spent literally a half an hour of my packing, packing supplements, <laughs> labeling them, packing them, taking them with me, taking them before. Right, so, take- so what's your what's your brand of what's your go to supplement brand? Because they're not, you know, it's kind of like the wild, wild west out there. It you is have something that's reliable. Do you have your own line? I well, after seventeen years of working on women's hormones and researching what precisely we need and experimenting for a decade, I I actually did formulate my own uh, because there is a major problem with the supplement world Mm -hmm. where there are a lot of fillers that are endocrine disruptive. There are a lot of things that you don't want to be taking. The regulation around sourcing of ingredients is really problematic. And so as a consumer of supplements and someone who absolutely needs them for my own hormonal well-being and uses them in practice, I just out of integrity needed to create a line that was clean and safe and effective. So yes, back just in this past October, oh, we launched the Flow Balance Supplements. Nice. Um, Good so for it's, you. it's five formulations. Uh, they are absolutely non-negotiable for the endocrine system. There's no superfluous supplements. Mm-hmm. So you won't find adaptogens in my supplement line. You mm-hmm. won't find all these because that's more personal. It's like right. herbs, adaptogens, right. anti, you know, superfoods. This, is, this is like- Speaking to the endocrine system, not that. You, the basic yeah. stuff that everybody needs that you can't get in a multivitamin. This is what, and multivitamins are not great for another conversation for another day, but right. the, this is what it is. PMS, obviously, premenstrual. Right. 
syndrome, specific to women, men also have hormones. Yeah, let's now, talk about that. We didn't finish the protocol, just in okay. case you wanted to finish. We're going back there. Okay, great. <laughs> We're going back there. But I want to know, do men experience hormonal disruption on a regular basis yes. similar to women? Yes, please say yes, please say yes. Please say yes. <laughs> I, I, I used to be the uh, hormone whisperer for Yahoo Health uh, back when that was still uh, alive. And one of the articles that I wrote was about, you know, men's PMS. Uh, you know, they do actually have. So here's the big distinction, which I wrote first about in Woman Code, and I'm actually now working on my second book, I don't know, just where, when do I find the time to do all these things? I really don't know, but I'm working on it. And I'm really, I want to highlight for people that there is a distinction around your biorhythmic clocks. So men have a 24 hour circadian clock. They're the date, the 24 hour women too. Yep. Yeah. But we have a second clock. Because we are superior humans. We like clocks. We have <laughs> extra watches. Well, it actually has to do, it's a, that's a whole other we're fun esoteric human. conversation, but actually has to do with the fact that we're able to do the gestating piece. But we run two clocks simultaneously during our menstruating years. We have a 24-hour circadian hormonal clock and we have a 28-day circadian hormonal clock. And so you have to take into account both. Men have, a, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. They wake up, they, they go, okay, they go to sleep. As long as they're getting good sleep, they make all the testosterone they're going to have access to for the next 24 hours. They open their eyes. If they made a lot of testosterone, it'll be obvious. And if they can't discharge that testosterone in the obvious desired way, they might go have a workout, which is ideal for them to build muscle. What is the optimal way of discharging testosterone? Well, come on, Zoe. Oh, like sexy time. <laughs> morning sexy time. All okay. Men, okay, so morning sex is like a multivitamin. Men. Morning sex morning is sex ideal is for, men. for men. It, it is. I prefer you, morning sex. I do too. Yeah, it, it's, and it's a specific kind of sex that men have. I also talk about the there's an ideal time, I think, for men and women to be having sex with each other. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon from a hormonal that point of view. That is happy hour like, sex. No, that's like, that's Your magic hour. Magic nice. hour. Yep. Because men's testosterone has dipped, their uh. cortisol is dipping, and they're less uh, physically oriented and more emotionally open right. and more able to take their partner's needs and desires into their own consideration and their own pleasure experience as opposed to morning sex, which is very much about perfunctory. Their Discharge it. Discharging Just their testosterone. Get it out. I mean, yeah. I'll come out and say these things, but yeah. you know, I don't they're know. Such, <laughs> they're such simple creatures. So <laughs> so they have that. They wake up. They have their, you know, testosterone surge. They have their cortisol surge. So that's why they like to front load their day with a lot of activities, whether that's <laughs> Wait, the jet, you guys, you, no the one visual, is seeing the know, hand gesture that was just Just made. front load the day. Front load, just shoved it <laughs> just right, right, right out there. All in the morning, work <laughs> meetings, workouts. If they can have sex with their partner, they would. If they can have morning breakfast meetings, like anything where they can be out active doing the things they need to do, early morning meetings, networking meetings. If you think about how the corporate culture is structured, it ideally supports that male 24-hour hormonal pattern. Good Lord. You it, know, all of our theories, this is just is so upsetting. It's exactly what I thought. I find that I am also most, you know, functional in the early morning. I prefer a morning meeting and a morning workout. So I'm not going to say it's no. all. And, and you as well, in your 24-hour experience, will have your cortisol surge in the morning. However, if you were to be tracking your energy patterns, which we have you do in the MyFlow app, you would notice that in the second half of your cycle, you don't feel that way about mornings. You have a different experience mm -hmm. of the morning in the first half of the cycle, the, the follicular and the ovulatory phase versus the luteal and the menstrual phase. You don't feel like 
like you want to jump out of bed and do a workout, but you might pressure yourself into doing Mm -hmm. it, which actually has negative endocrine disrupting effects on your system. For example, did you know? Fascinating. Because I'm sorry, you're going to hit hit us with a big did you know in a minute. I'm going to say that like mentally, intellectually, and whatever, in, in the forefront of my brain, I think I prefer sex in the morning because I'm just like a little bit more relaxed, but I'm also like, yeah, let's just check that box. Let's get it done. Let's go on with our day. That's right. And then, but if I actually think about it, I physically am probably most eager to have sex in the afternoon. And I know this usually when I'm on vacation. Right. Like, oh, it yeah. always happens in the afternoon Happy on hour. vacation. I know. Before um, you go to dinner. But I also am more, I want to exercise in the afternoon. I cannot do it at night. And in the morning, it's the same thing. I'm just like, I have too much stuff to do. I need to just get to it. So that's interesting that my desire to have sex and my desire to exercise kind of link up at the same time. Is that is that normal? Well, and actually it also intersects. Am I normal? <laughs> yes, you're totally normal. And it also intersects with not just your cortisol pattern throughout the day, but your testosterone surges throughout that secondary clock. So you have a primary clock and a secondary clock. And that testosterone pattern in your secondary clock, which goes throughout your 28-day cycle, will intersect with your energy that is maintained by cortisol in a 24-hour period. And you will have different like, for example, during ovulation, when you have a huge surge of testosterone over a 48-hour period, 36-hour period, you might be more interested in sex throughout the day. Luteinizing. What? What is the hormone? Testosterone. No, but what is the lutein? Oh, oh that, was the, that was the ovulatory phase. Yes. When you're ovulating. But what is the hormone that spikes when you're ovulating? Isn't it- uh, well, you have both a spike. You have, you have a spike in follicular stimulating hormone estrogen, testosterone, and then just after ovulation, you get a spike in luteinizing hormone. Okay. So, but it's testosterone that drives the libido. Luteinizing hormone drives the production of progesterone. Follicular stimulating hormone drives the the stimulation of the egg from the ovary. Mm -hmm. So they all do different jobs, but testosterone is really about your sex drive. And why? Because during ovulation, what are you? You're fertile and your body is like trying to get you to make a baby, even if that's not your agenda. You are interested in sex more on a consistent basis over that 36 hours than you are the rest of the month, et cetera, et cetera. So here's this thing about the exercising that I just want to come back to. So did you know, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this, when I, when I was digging through all these, I mean, I'm constantly on different, you know, sites where I'm like just digging through just studies. And there are pretty conclusive studies that show If you do high intensity interval training post ovulation, mm-hmm. so during your PMS phase and when you're bleeding, you turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. Mm. I'm sorry. Say that one more time. Let me say it again. If you do high intensity interval, so here you are. You're supposed to just do it every day at the gym, go to the gym, work out hard, push yourself. And follow like the calendar that someone addressed laid out for you. That's right. And you're being good. Your willpower is strong. Your commitment is strong. I mean, you see these slogans everywhere. Just do it. Just commit. Like, show up every day. Right. And we're talking hit that workouts, works. seven minutes, like the quick blast. No, we're talking about like you a boot camp class. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, we're not talking about cardio. We're not talking about yoga. We're, we're talking, talking about, about like your first intensity. Very yes. intense. Yes. High intensity interval training where you're, you know, jumping around in a class with weights. You're doing all sorts of things. Okay. Throwing your back out. Yep. <laughs> Workout of the day, whatever it is. That will cause you in the second half of your cycle to store fat, a.k.a. put weight on, Mm -hmm. and waste muscle mass. This is 
the opposite of what you want to have happen. And the opposite of what they so tell you. So if you can't understand the words workouts. that are coming out of my mouth because your mind is literally exploding in between your ears, don't be alarmed. It's normal to have that reaction because this is what happens when we are misinformed or when we ignore the fact that we have the secondary clock. We operate as if, as if we have only the one circadian clock and that in and of itself is endocrine disruptive. So the fourth step of the protocol, I'm skipping the third, mm-hmm. which has to do with estrogen metabolism. The fourth step of the protocol is uh, something that I created called the cycle syncing method. As I was looking at this, it became very clear to me that if we don't honor this 28-day clock by feeding ourselves foods that are hormonal phase specific and exercising in ways that are not endocrine disruptive per phase, we could easily find ourselves in a situation where we're having recurrence of issues or creating Mm-hmm. disruption Creating in your ovulation, et cetera, exist. fertility, Ugh. sex drive, perimenopause, all the things you want to avoid. And, God, and is, not to mention, daunting. not to mention that here we are, all of us trying to have the bodies that we feel good in. And I, I feel like I just have happy, liberating news to share with women, which is you don't have to work out every day like a, like like a beast. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's mm-hmm. so great. And and take it from someone who's lost 60 pounds twice, once the first time I got myself into balance and after I had my daughter. I did none of the stereotypical working out that is typically recommended. I just cycle synced my activities and my diet, and it just works so well. I cannot. It's it's so fun. And that information about cycle syncing and how how it aligns with you, this is all available like in the app and on the the website. and And in the book Woman Code, which that's where the app came from. So I wrote Woman Code, and there's this chart in Chapter 5 that— shows you which foods to eat, which exercises to do, et cetera, et cetera, when to have sex, what kind of foreplay to have, how to optimize your orgasm based on which phase you're in, what to focus on at work, everything. So people were writing me for at least three years saying, please, can you, can you put this in a format that I don't have to remember it? Cause you know, I'm sort of like a walking encyclopedia for your hormones and your period. And most people don't want to dedicate that much brain space to it. And I get that. So after I had my daughter, I said, okay, I'm done with maternity leave. Let me build an app. I don't know. Is that what you do after you have a kid? I guess that's what I did. Um, so we launched the app January of 2017. And it's just, uh, it's one of the top 20 paid menstrual apps in the world. And it's just a really popular tool for women to not only look at what symptoms they're having to improve their periods over time and to improve their their experience of their cycle, but to learn how to cycle sync, to use the cycle right. syncing method with how they're doing their self-care. And can they also use this app to, if they're trying to conceive? Absolutely. If you want to track your period, track your ovulation. I feel like once women, I feel like it's the only time women are really, you know, unless they have a specific issue around, you know, menstruation, they're really only tuning into this part of their body when they're trying to conceive. It's like all of the that's what I thought. there are the trying to conceive apps that that's are just what, like, I'm going to track your period. That's what I thought too. But our users are also women who are in their 20s. You know, I have to say I am so encouraged by millennial women because they are kind of eyes opened to, dare I say, some of the misogyny that sort of we've inherited from the patriarchy uh, around, you know, our health relationship to our health. And so they're kind of interested in understanding how their cycle works and how to use it to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Well, look, who even knew that there were advantages to be had? So who knew that you could gain all of these things, right? It's just like this yucky thing that no one talks about that happens. But if you're like, no, let's 
It's a huge advantage. Cognitive. Yeah. Let's actually figure out how to optimize. Yeah. But so then on the flip side of that, for those of us who are choosing to not have children, for those of us who are on the pill, I mean, that's kind of, you know, when I'm looking at the app and I'm seeing like all these things about, you know, when are you ovulating? When are you fertile? My questions have to do with like, okay, how does this serve me as somebody who's not invested in knowing my fertility, but certainly invested in understanding, you know, my general sort of hormonal shifts? And also, how much is the pill kind of playing into just messing with all of that and not creating like a true sort of baseline? I'm so glad you brought that up. (laughs) The pill, done, done, done. Capital P. (laughs) I'm like ready to be done. Yeah, good. Good for you. I'm ready. Well, and do we want to, can we distinguish between like the pill and like all the other forms of birth control? Any synthetic birth control. Anything. Anything synthetic where you're getting dosed. So there's only one non-hormonal IUD that exists. So you can have a copper IUD essentially, but every other birth control device, whether it's a pill, an implant, a ring, an injection, it's all synthetic hormones that shut off the conversation between the brain and the ovaries. That is how it prevents you from becoming pregnant. Now, just want to answer your question before I dive into more about the pill. And I use pill as a placeholder for all synthetic birth control. The protocol, the app, the cycle syncing method is not specifically for fertility, although we have had so many flow babies as a result of this. It is really about women reclaiming a relationship to their hormones and making sure that those hormones are serving them. That's it. Whether that's something you want to use because you want to get pregnant, great. If it's because you want to avoid pregnancy, know when you're fertile, do the right things to not get pregnant, excellent. If you want to transition to perimenopause and not have symptoms, excellent. If you want to recover from your teenage years of menstrual suffering, great. Whatever it is, you have four decades where you're contending with this secondary clock, four decades of your life that could either be miserable (laughs) or fantastic. And I'm just really eager for women to understand. That's the bigger conversation here. So it's not uh, just about fixing your period problems. It's really about how do you use this to launch into the life you're meant to live. Okay, so the pill. First, I want to just say that it is such an important part of our feminist history, and and I'm so glad that it exists. And certainly, if you need to be using it, use it. But you should be aware of some of the side effects, which are endocrine disruptive long-term. The pill, the IUD, the ring, whatever it is, when they release those synthetic hormones, it shuts off ovulation altogether. You stop producing your own estrogen and progesterone. You stop producing all of those hormones so that you are not having a real period. So when you say, oh, I'm on my period, if you're taking any synthetic birth control, that's not a period. That's just breakthrough bleeding, which when you use things like the ring or the IUD actually stop over time. And the only reason why it still happens when you take the pill is because it's not a continuous pill and you take a sugar pill Mm -hmm. for a week. And that's when you can have some breakthrough bleeding. But it's not a cycle. It's not a menstrual cycle. You are not cycling at all. You do not have access to the cyclical effects of your fluctuating hormonal ratios on your brain chemistry, on your sex drive, on anything. Um, You're kind of in a perpetual low-grade luteal phase, which is the phase that is PMS-related. Knowing that is important because once you understand what these hormones give you as a gift from a neurohormonal point of view, a cognitive point of view, you'll feel cheated. You'll feel like you're being shortchanged by not having access to all of this. Yeah, a little bit. And I have one response. Yeah. Vasectomy. (laughs) 
You know, Hello. no, but let me also say for clarity, I, I agree with you that there are ways that we could encourage the, you know, the the other side to kind of take some of Equal this. Equal burden. However, yes. for me, like in my example, and I know millions of women out there, I was put on the pill be- to regulate my period when I was in high school because I had horrible periods. I had horrible cramps. I had to stay home from school because of the bleeding. It had almost nothing to do with pregnancy and almost yeah, everything women. to do with, a, you know, addressing the period. So that's why it's so ironic. Ironic. So frustrating. That's that right. It has nothing to do with regulation. Well, right. it, it, in effect, it, yeah, in a way it's regulating, but not in the way that you want. Right? Right. It's not fixing it. It's just shutting it down. It's solving one problem and creating another one. And, and what, the, what, it, what it's creating inside of you is a disrupted microbiome. It acts like an antibiotic in the gut and Ugh, destroys your good so bacterial upset. balance. Erica's getting very it, upset. It, She's, but you have to hear the truth because you said you were I making know. a decision. I, because everything if I've you've heard been on and it read in the school? last six weeks or six months, just when this information is starting to bubble up, I'm like, oh my God, like I got to be done. You have to be done. And, and you have to do it in a specific way. So for example, I would want you, one of the other reasons why I created oh, We're going to go offline on this one, lady. Is because <laughs> you can't just transition off the pill cold turkey right. because it's, like I said, it's disrupted your microbiome. It's depleted you of all these key micronutrients your endocrine system needs. How? How is it disrupting your microbiome? <laughs> I've been cheated. <laughs> um, we can, we, I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff, but basically it disturbs the good bacterial balance in the gut and uh, disrupts the estrobolum, which is responsible for metabolizing estrogen. It can throw off your digestion. Yes. It, it can cause bloating. Yes. It can cause brain fog. Yes. It, it can make, it can lead to a lot of vaginal dryness and de- decreased sexual response. It elevates levels of sex hormone binding globulin, which really tamper down your sex drive. And that can be permanent. It can increase your depressive tendencies. And that also can be permanent. So listen, medications have side effects. I I am not singling out the pill. I'm simply saying that the way that women are so, it's like swept under the carpet. Mm -hmm. Like, just take this. This is totally safe. Everybody takes it. Well, there are some real universal side effects. And if you knew about them, at least in my 17 years of working with women and asking them this question, once they hear this information, I say, so if you could go back, would you have taken the pill at 16, knowing this at 16? And, or at 18 or at 20. Or at least no, the answer have, is no. The answer is definitely taken no. breaks and Okay, come so off here's the it. question for you. I was on the pill at 17, 18, and 19. And at 19 years old, I was like, there is something that feels so wrong mm-hmm. about taking a pill every day. This is just, you know, and what it's doing to me. And I never took the pill again. I've Good never day. taken the pill. Yep. And now I understand, you know, you have a daughter. I have a daughter. And how do you have that conversation with a young woman? I mean, because we're so used to whether it's to regulate your period, whether it's about protected, you know, not getting pregnant. What is the answer? Oh, that's such a good question. I spend, I have been thinking about this and thinking about this. And obviously now I'm so thrilled to be able to put into practice. I mean, it's such a gift to have recovered my hormones so that I was able to conceive naturally um, at advanced maternal age. So yes, now that I have a daughter... I begin the dialogue with her now. So for example, she asked me a question a couple of months ago. She's like, mommy, how does the baby get in your tummy? Was it different from the question she had before, which was where do babies come from, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and my, so, my son asked me if I ate him. <laughs> so cool. What a, what a smart thing. So I said, okay, this is when we'll start our formal you know, reproductive education. This was the, this was a question, it was a technical question versus sort of an esoteric question. So I said, okay, there's an egg and there's a seed. And when the egg and the seed come together, you know, 
a baby can grow. And she was like, great. Where do the eggs live? I said, inside my body. Where do the seeds live? Inside daddy's body. So this was like a very age appropriate way for a three and a half year old to understand this conversation without it being something sexual. Now, this is the beginning of a long series of conversations or an, a trajectory of how do I educate my daughter to be savvy about what's happening in her body in a way that's empowering and not mystifying, right? Mm -hmm. So she was so proud when my husband came home. She's like, Daddy, I know where babies come from. I know where your seeds are. I know are. where your seeds are. <laughs> and he's like, and he looked at me and, you know, he kind of looked a little scared, but he knows this is what I do. So he's like, okay, let me hear it. And she's like, so mommy has the eggs and you have the seed. And when they get together in her tummy, a baby can grow. And he was like, yeah, that's great. You know, so he was like, you could see he was relieved, but like, you know, it's, it begins this way. And then, you know, for example, she asks questions about, she'll open up my bathroom cabinet, right? And she'll see that I have pads in there. She's like, what are these little diapers? And I'm like, oh, they're like mommy pads. And she's like, what do you use them for? I said, well, once a month, you know, I have this experience where I need to wear them. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, well, that happened to me. I said, yes, when you're about 13, that's going to start happening to you too. And it's really fun. And she's like, great. And that was it. And we moved on. You know, she'll be four. This was a, re this was a conversation we had two weeks ago. So it's just about layering it in yeah. age appropriate ways. And then when you get to the place where you're talking about pr protected sex or mm -hmm. preventing pregnancy, you're, you're educating, not fear mongering. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the distinction. We have to let women be empowered. We have to trust them to know what to do. Like people are saying, oh, why don't men bear the burden of, you know, pr birth control? Well, women need to know when they're fertile. We don't know when we're ovulating. We don't know that we have to take extra precaution if we're using a condom and we're ovulating. We should also use a secondary barrier method if we're not using uh, synthetic birth control. We need to understand a lot more about how our bodies work so that we feel confident about the choices that we're making and not scared. So, you know, a lot of women ask me the question of like, oh, if I go off the pill, am I going to just get pregnant? What do I do? I say, well, you can only get pregnant for any of you who've ever had a difficult fertility journey. You can only get pregnant five days out of the whole month. That's it. But when you're in junior high school and they're educating you on sex ed, they terrorize you into like, thinking that you can be pregnant at any time. Yes, even yes. if you just go in a jacuzzi Get in the, the pool. Boy. Exactly. So you pregnant. see, this is what I'm saying. Edu Done. Empowering education, not fear-mongering, is the solution to, you know, how, the answer to your question is not a, is a, it's a long journey and you start young with your there daughter. There is no, there is no yes or no answer to that. Like, yes, I would like my daughter to be on the pill. I mean, it's a complicated question. It's a complicated, and it's personal. And listen, if your daughter is hormonally healthy, you know, perhaps you are able to help her navigate that and you make sure that she's taking the right supplements when she's on the medication so that she doesn't develop secondary problems. It's, we now refer to it as post-birth control syndrome, right? And you, as you transition off, you know, you have to really replenish mm -hmm. your system before you fully transition mm -hmm. off. Well, and what I've learned too is that had we had some of this information ahead of time, like uh, those issues that I was having were clearly because there was a hormonal issue in the first place and that did not need to be solved with birth control. It could have been solved by actually right. the protocols. And at such a young age, when you were first dealing with these issues, your body is so resilient and yeah. so 
apt to recover its balance quickly that three months of a food protocol when you're 16 would set you up for hormonal balance for the next three decades. I could have been a totally, I could have been president. That's why, that's why, that's why I'm so passionate about the the company. And now a lot of shit could have been different. It it could have been, it could have had a totally different trajectory. And I know that firsthand because I was living in that alternate universe of hormonal fog. And then I came out of it and it it really was a different, I, I am living a very different life. Um, So that's why I'm really passionate about the company really being a brand that every woman knows about because if you're, every woman has these problems and nobody knows where to go or what to do, we should all, we all have the right. And there's a gap in the healthcare conversation, right? You go to the gynecologist. She's like, you've got something wrong with you. I really can't help you that much unless it's a surgical procedure. See you next year. Right. So I just thought, let me build the thing that we need. We need a secondary support system. You need your gynecologist. Absolutely. And you also need flow living because you have to learn how you have to learn what to do. You have yeah. to do it yourself. You I have mean, to I have to. You know, and it's it's unfortunate because it I think of low living now as this sort of like in between, right? So in between your gynecologist and your potential endocrinologist. So someone that you eventually have to go to if you're like, no. 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 If you're saying I am that I can No, no. Do that. I'm saying no, no, no. I'm saying you don't need an endocrinologist to ever get there. if you take care of your hormones. Unless there's a, listen, if you have a pituitary tumor, right. if you have something that's really going on where yeah. it, where you've already crossed over to right. major, major dysfunction, you'll start with the endocrinologist and then you'll still have to go back and do the protocol to get yourself well. So, mm-hmm. wh- so once you have a diagnosis of yeah. something, whether you're working with an endocrinologist or a gynecologist, that's exactly when you then seek out flow living so that the next visit, when you go for your next set of labs, things are improving and you're reclaiming your health in between those visits. So we look at ourselves as a partner to your medical team. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of it as as a triangle. You're on top driving your healthcare needs. Your doctors are on one leg of the triangle and we're on the other leg and we're doing the functional nutrition piece to help you really understand how to how your daily habits and your supplementation habits and your exercise habits really can make or break your hormonal balance. Because I think for a lot of women who are trying to conceive, I am definitely not one of them anymore. <laughs> but the women who are trying to conceive, I mean, I think that once they they start trying, they hit a few bumps in the road. They're asking why is this, why it's not happening. They start to panic. And then they immediately like Those run to fertility a fertility doctor, which is what I did because I was like, oh, my God, I'm a, tr- I'm a very healthy individual. I've been trying for six months. I can't believe I'm not pregnant. And then I also had a, f- a couple of miscarriages, like very early chemical pregnancies and then some not so early. But I did go immediately to a fertility doctor. And ha- this is how naive I was at the time. I didn't even know what a fertility doctor meant. And it was like, oh, you're an endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. Oh, fertility has to do with my endocrines hormones. my hormones i mean that was like a big moment for me isn't it surprising and, and it's I don't not think surprising know that. well we're all so educated right. and 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 i mean i teach all over i teach in corporations and i i've had er doctors sit in my lectures and no not most women as educated as we are know how our hormones work, can draw the 28-day chart, understand what the endocrine system is. It's complicated. It's not. Okay. 
It is if you don't. Once you know. Once, once you, you know. The point is you know. that we're so educated, yet this thing that is so simple and yes. just not available to it's us. It's just not available. Mind blown. And that's yeah. that's really what I'm that's up true. to. That is what what my whole modus operandi is, is to make this information and treatment available to women around the world. Yeah, I want to like simplify hug you right now. I feel like it's so, it's so important. It's Thank so, it I'm is. so happy that you are doing this and delivering this message because I just think this is such powerful information that needs to get out there. I mean, we're, women are going to continue to be a driving force of how culture is organized. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm so excited at the prospect of, you know, a whole global village of women who are totally in, in, right relationship with their bodies and the choices that we make as a result of that will impact how we raise our children, how we how we affect the environment. It, it really does start to change and has, it has a, such a positive ripple effect. So that certainly so, keeps me up at night. <laughs> on that note, is there another culture that's kind of doing it amazingly? I mean, are there other cultures that are really handling this time of the month with just like, because we, you know, no. at least in America, we just don't talk We're about what's with, ha- yeah. handling it with drugs. What's happening with half the population every single month for five days a month? No, <laughs> no. I mean they're they're certainly in different um, uh, traditional religious practices. There's a there's a an awareness of the cycle. Like for example, in Judaism, you would practice a mikvah ritual after your menstruation is over to purify yourself. Um, you know, but it is uh, the the underlying thread in a lot of these cultural references is about that the period is somehow fundamentally unclean Mm -hmm. and needs to be cleansed. But there isn't a culture that I've seen anywhere that orients itself around this secondary biorhythmic hormonal clock. And as a result, women have been physically suffering and our culture as a whole is so skewed to defaulting to the masculine that women are also psychologically yeah, suffering. there's a shame element associated instead of a celebration. Well, not even that. Uh, yes, but also just think about it. If you believe that you're supposed to somehow live your life within this 24-hour clock, but your body is sending you messages that are saying, this doesn't feel right. I need something else. You start to make yourself wrong and guilty and bad and cuckoo about, you know, how you're living your life and you just feel not grounded. And I think women, this explosion in the wellness conversation in the past couple of years is definitely reflective of the of the reality that women are we are looking to put our feet firmly on the ground and it is actually the the place that you're going to get grounded is uh, in your own body not in um, these rituals that we're looking to sort of anchor us to our body, but the ritual is in with, within mm-hmm. us, this cyclical rhythmic nature Amen. inside really of us. We it's don't really cool. need a, to burn incense to, I mean, that's nice to do. And we can, I do, we it. I do, yeah, I do, I do, I do it all the time, <laughs> but that's not, that's not the grounding that we right. need. We the need ritual is happening in your body. In ourselves. Cool. Oh my God. I, I love, like that. Oprah says, tweetable moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. There's like so much more, but we have to like wrap it up. Oh, we don't. We, we, we take a couple more minutes. <laughs> so, She's got, I got more questions. <laughs> yeah. Like are women in fact superhuman because 
they can bleed for five days and not die. I mean, I will say that when I when I do <laughs> workshops, I was just at South by Southwest. I was, believe it or not, I was the first ever female biohacker to present at South by Southwest. Are you serious? Female, well, pr- the first female biohacker. It's all dudes. I mean, I assumed that it would be well, primarily because there's male, a little bit of a gender bias if you haven't noticed in the medical little bit. community. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Can I be cute about I that? Noticed. So, and why is that? Because when you do research, right? When you do research, it's easier to control just for the 24-hour cycle. So mm-hmm. they don't. Right. So they usually do um, any sort of experiments on male subjects and women that are postmenopausal because they only got one clock. Right. So. And what's really frustrating is then you have all this biohacking information that's being uh, marketed as if it is universally beneficial. But if you're not factoring in your secondary clock, it is not universally beneficial. Like, for example, intermittent fasting. Should you do it? Is it good for you? If you're in one of those four decades where you have a secondary clock, the answer is no. No intermittent fasting? No intermittent fasting except from— Empirically, no. Okay. You can do it from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Right, that's 7 what I was going to say. Wait, 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 wait. Women are not supposed to be, well, doing intermittent fasting? What does that mean? I mean— 12, No more than 12 hours? 12 hours, right? Or Overnight right. while you're sleeping, not during the day. Okay, I only Once sleep for like four hours. Well, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she, she looked at my eyes, just bugged out of my head. Um, you, when you're postmenopausal, you can totally intermittent fast. Okay, so what is the consequence of, of endocrine intermittent fasting? Endocrine disruption. Okay, so, endocrine disruption. so it's not regulating your insulin you will, in the way that in we've fact, been. And let's look at these. Oh, I, for fuck's sake! This is this is where this is what I mean when I say it's confusing. This part is confusing right. when it when it's when all this information is provided by, you know, back to your point, men. We are not being taken into account here. We are in not our systems. So period, pun intended, yeah. total pun intended. You know, like that's that is what I'm. That is yeah. what I am trying to say here. Very specifically, is that you, if you are not, that's what's so revolutionary about the cycle syncing method. If you're doing anything with your diet, with your exercise, that is not taking your cyclical hormones into account, you are definitely screwing with your health. Oh, shit. I hope your next book is called The Cycle Syncing Method. Uh, we're working on a title. I hope so. you're going to open a cycling <laughs> studio all about <laughs> cycle syncing. You can help me get the title. I yeah. feel like you guys it's are It's like my me. favorite thing to do. So, um, and I, we definitely can go on for a very long time, but I just want to touch on one small thing that we did not mention, and I think a lot of people want to know about. I mean, just a little overview of menopause. Um, Perimenopause or postmenopause? I mean, whatever. <laughs> Let's start you know, with— Just because—this is the thing. It's the same problem that I have. It's my beef, if you will, with uh, the the vocab, the lack of the adequate lack of vocabulary. vocabulary. We, is it a cycle? Is it a menstruation? Does menstruation refer to the time when you're bleeding or the whole month? Does the period mean the whole month or the week? Is it menopause after you're done? I, I mean, I know the answers to these questions, but the fact that we don't have precision with our vocabulary is yeah. another way that we are disempowered. It is called a dictionary after all. Yeah. <laughs> So I will say, oh, I call it a vaginary <laughs> or a chictionary. It's just a dictionary. Oh, so anyway, we we are we don't have the right vocabulary. So here's the deal: you start perimenopause at 35. Oh, good. God. In it, everybody okay. up okay. top. 35 to about 50 is the average journey of perimenopause. Okay, what is perimenopause? Perimenopause is the the chemical process by which the pituitary gland secretes more and more follicular stimulating hormone so that you stop ovulating. The higher your F- anybody who's been on the IVF journey will know the higher your FSH levels, the, the lower your fertility factors are. So 
it takes a long time so that you feel no symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So just like puberty starts at nine and finishes at 22. (laughs) Say what? It starts and ends at 22? Puberty begins in the brain at nine. Chemically, The pituitary gland begins to activate so that slowly over time, the cyclical clock wakes up and completes at 22. The The brain changes are complete at 22. Then, so that you're, you're, so that it's gentle and gradual. Can you imagine if you just like all of a sudden woke up at 13 and everything <laughs> happened at once? You'd have like hot flashes and Ugh. stretch marks and it would, yeah. it would be very difficult and uncomfortable. So perimenopause is a 15-year journey approximately as long as you're taking care of yourself. Unfortunately, women are aging prematurely now because of this improper dieting that we're doing by not taking into account our secondary clock and everybody's intermittent, restricting calories, not getting up micronutrients, you're aging. There's we're aging our hit workouts. I mean, we're at the wrong time of the month. We, yes, we are. And we're decreasing our fertility. You're supposed to be fertile till you're 46. Is that right? Yeah. And you're supposed to be bleeding till you're about 50, 53, right? And so, so what, is, what the average now, woman now is bleeding? The average fertility, like women are having problems conceiving now as early as 35. Mm-hmm. And they're going through hot flashes and night sweats at 45. So we've we've really decreased. I mean, remember why the pill was put into place, right? right? Because just three generations ago, women were having their eighth baby at 48, yeah. They were like, we right. need us population control. Well, no, just their own well-being. Like they're, you know, they were having like cervical prolapse. Like they needed right. a way to not always be conceiving if they were having relations with their husband, right? right. So, so organs were coming out of their vagina. Right. right. So I mean, but basically we we are designed to be maximally fertile. It's what nature, it's the nature's design, right? So the fact that we are struggling now with our fertility, both men and women, and that children now, both boys and girls, are struggling with early puberty is indicative of the degree of endocrine disruption that we're exposed to both environmentally and with our diet. And we have to take it seriously because it has real health complications, uh, uh, you know, associations with it. So that's the first thing to realize. And then post, so then menopause, Mm So you're in perimenopause for all this time. Then menopause is the moment that you have your last bleed. And you'll only know if it was your last bleed because 12 months later, you still didn't bleed. Right. Oh, so 12 months is the, is Twi- the amount it of has to, If you get it six months later, you have to start counting again. You have to start from that date. So if you go for, you have a bleed and then t- for 12 more months, you have no more bleeding. You are now postmenopausal, okay. and it, and one year of postmenopause. Okay. And then what do we do once we realize that we're menopausal? Postmenopausal. What, what do we do when we realize we're postmenopausal? You just go back to operating as if you have one clock. Okay. Much easier conversation. Do we get like a cake or anything? You can you get do whatever you want. You can have a menopause party. You can have a kind of party. Celebration. You can get rid of all your mama diapers. Yep. <laughs> your mama pads. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please don't ever. That was the most like, uns- I, I cannot well, I think. Mean, I cannot what am I going to tell her? my pads. I know. Well, for a four-year-old, for a yes. For a three-year-old, I got to tell her. But now every time I see a pad, I'm like, well, I guess these are my mama diapers. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I'm I'm already trying to get my sexy back, okay? It's not helping me get my sexy back. Um, Okay, I should get a cup then, a uh, diva cup. Those are much more Okay, that sounds good. (laughs) Because you're talking about the dictionary or the chictionary. My question is, we have a word, right, in our vocabulary. We have a word for puberty. Mm -hmm. We have a word for menopause, perimenopause, menopause. Mm -hmm. What is the word... For the other moment in your life where you experience the most disruptive hormonal shift imaginable, which is postpartum. Well, that's what we call it, postpartum. That's it? That's it. It's just postpartum. 
But I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, there was a beautiful, some journalist from, uh, wrote in the Boston Globe, brilliant woman. I, I keep meaning to reach out to her to thank her for her public service that, that she did. She wrote an, a fantastic article just putting a picture frame around the reality that we have this massive neurochemical shift, the most profound neurochemical shift of any human being's life happens postpartum pregnancy and postpartum. There is zero conversation about it. Women are zero. Z- women have absolutely no idea that this is about to happen to them. They are ill prepared to understand what to look out for. And society doesn't then know that there needs to be a sort of special kind of consideration and support. It isn't so much that women are that that it means that you're going to have postpartum depression or anxiety. No, no. No, it no. just means that you literally do rewire your brain permanently and forever. You are a different person. It's crazy. And it should be celebrated and acknowledged and look forward to. Right, like puberty. We spent, we talk so much about puberty and when you're 16 and whatever age and you're going to have, this is going to happen and all of these wonderful things. And it's a conversation and it's ongoing and it's had by both parents and it's had by teachers and it's had by the whole community. It's like puberty, brace yourself. It's happening. It could be good. It's going to have its highs and its lows. Menopause. You know, there's Another a conver- set of brain changes. There's there a conversation too. around that too, yeah, which I think is primarily negative. No, no, no. No, I think the conversation around it is primarily. Oh, negative I was going to say from it, a hormonal point, no, 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 it's no. magical. I think magical there's a stigma yeah. that it means you're old, right. and that it's like women freak out. You don't want to have sex anymore. Oh my god! Like yeah. I must be approaching menopause now. It's, if it's, you take care of yourself a, in your reproductive years and you take care of that secondary clock, your postmenopausal years should be ones in which you have more sex drive more vaginal lubrication, more yeah. cognitive stability. Like these can right. be gold, like not golden years where you're like fading into the twilight, but really ripe, juicy, yeah. dynamic phase of your life. But we have to change that stigma. So again, through education, away, yes. that's why. Yeah. And why so the postpartum phase is the one that no one's talking about at all. Because- no, there's no conversation around it. And I think partly because there is this new person and everyone shifts their focus onto this you know, baby, obviously, that was just born. But it is just kind of remarkable. I, I, I've obviously, like, a fairly new parent, so it's been kind of in the forefront of my mind. I'm like, wow, that was a fucking doozy. How come nobody has a <laughs> How come nobody told me? Wait a minute. Now, there is a book I wrote the forward to called The Fourth Trimester that I think is a really important read for women who are going yeah. through the postpartum period because it at least addresses sort of like the fact that you even need to consider that you might need physical therapy after you give birth. Yes, the phys- even just the physical even part. Even just that. Like I'm not even talking about the— Right, yeah. but but then, you know, where I like to come in is really talking about the fact that you have this, you know, just— I, I'm trying to think of an adjective like big enough. You have just sort of this enormous um, shift from a hormonal point of view, in a brain neurohormonal effects of that. It is— so profound. If you're not prepared with food and supplements, it can be, like you said, a doozy and then some. You can have yeah. postpartum depression, anxiety, psychosis. You, It can be, in, in fact, in um, Chinese medicine, if you don't take care of yourself the first uh, 90 days after you give birth properly with the right food and supplements, uh, they know for certain that that's going to set you up for your postmenopausal years to where you're having illnesses that stem from your postpartum Care. Care. Inappropriate postpartum care. So you, I mean, you can imagine what I did postpartum was like really unusual. I did not exercise at all. No, me neither. I did not eat. I did (laughs) not not eat one. Not that that was a sea change. Did (laughs) not eat one raw vegetable or fruit, not a juice, not a cold apple, nothing. I ate like 
foods that would replenish my body. So I made organic chicken liver pate. I made bone broth. I ate lots of warming foods. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, it was on for three months. And I, like I said, lost all the baby weight in six months without working out, without yeah. diet. I was eating fat. Were you breastfeeding? I, I breastfed my yeah. child. And that is another thing I wasn't supposed to be able to do with PCOS. Mm-hmm. I was really? a, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Another fun side effect of <laughs> all that hormonal imbalance is that you can have difficulty with lactation. But I was able to breastfeed her just shy of her third birthday, which was a year too long. But anyway, that's a whole I know. I was breastfed until I was three. Yeah. It's cool. I um, remember it. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little weird. That's a little weird. <laughs> but I, I, um, that's how nutrient rich my diet was to facilitate something like that even being possible, right? Yeah. Um, and my recovery being a good one. And I think it's compounded now where women are having wait, waiting to have their children later for various reasons, like you don't find the person for a long time, and it's, it's a, that's a real problem. And then you feel obliged to have your children close together. Right. And that puts additional so micronutrient depletion stress, yeah. on your body, which makes your fer- secondary infertility is on the rise as a result, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, you have further health complications. So listen, all of this sounds really negative and overwhelming. What I'm trying to say is the solution is not to get in your head about, oh, my God, there's so many things to do. Really, it's just an awareness that you should do something yeah. to care for yourself, period. Um, you should take care of your hormones. You should think about, hey— is this combination of foods going to balance my hormones or disrupt them? Is this coffee thing that I'm drinking, is this going to disrupt my hormones or balance them? Is this, oh, take my coffee is away. This, well, definitely sounding like that. No, no, no. It actually has to do with the genetic variation. So if you have— Check your app. If you have the CYP1A2 gene— Do I have to do bloods for this? If you can, yep, that would be good. 50% of the population doesn't has a variation in this gene, and so 50% of the population should not be drinking caffeine. But if you don't have any signs of caffeine toxicity and you've been living this long— without any issues, chances are good you're the other 50%. Oh, what are the signs of caffeine toxicity? Just tell oh, me. Oh, jitteriness, headaches. Um, it's, I have a whole blog called Five Reasons to Pause Before You Take That Next Sip of Coffee that outlines this whole genetic conversation and what to look out for um, on the Flow Living blog. So you can read more about it there. because I'm going to read everything that you've ever written ever because <laughs> oh my I just want like, all There's of the so information much. in your brain because it's incredible. Thanks. I, you're like, it's not complicated. Just don't do... Uh, no, intermittent just, fasting, no higher level training. No, just stop <laughs> thinking about all the movement. Right. Like, stop looking at all the bells and whistles and, yeah. and look at your body. Yes. Don't look outside right. anymore. Look inside and look at the reality that you have fluctuating ratios of estrogen and progesterone throughout each phase of the cycle, right? You have four phases. Yeah. So roughly one, one week of each month. You have to eat a little differently that week. Some weeks you have to eat more raw foods. Other weeks you have to stay away from raw foods. Some weeks you have to eat more protein. Other weeks you can be more vegan. You just need to learn that. Learn your own cycle. That's it. Then that's it. And then you don't have to worry about all the fads and the trends. You're the trend. You're, you are. Your body's keeping the your clock. Your body is a wonderland. Your, <laughs> your body's keeping the, the clock, the timing of what you need and when. So I can be a raw foodist. Um, uh, you can you can like, dabble in I, paleo, one week a month. Paleo. I can week. do. I yep. can be everything. You can be everything. Can be everything Just, as long as it's for the right phase of your cycle. It has to be timed properly. That's right. That's it. Okay. Done. Simple. <laughs> so glad this conversation was. <laughs> so I'm glad you feel clear now. <laughs> um, God, this is really fascinating. And honestly, I really I feel like I could talk about this for another easily an hour. I think we could probably chop this up into like three buckets. Like. 
you know, puberty, postnatal, perimenopause. Those and just be- your regular reproductive years where you're not baby making, you're just trying to be healthy. Just trying to be a normal person, mm-hmm. um, a normal, healthy person. Yeah, we could do many episodes. God, well, m- thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Anywhere where women are gathered talking about their periods, I love to be there. (laughs) This is like the greatest party trick of all time. Like, here's all the things that you didn't know, and I'm going to blow your mind right now. (laughs) Can we start just like a side movement right now where women do not hide their tampon when they go from their their cubicle to the bathroom? Can we just carry it and be like, I'm having a beautiful moment? You know, there's a beautiful company called (laughs) Cora, Cora Women. I have their tampon. They make a necklace. It looks like a golden golden tampon holder (laughs) necklace. So you can wear your tampon in a beautiful piece of jewelry. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because it's it's this funny thing where women just kind of like shove it up your sleeve in your pocket. No one knows except that 50% of us do this every day. Right. No one should know about it. Right. It's so bizarre. That's changing quite a bit. You know, social media and millennials are really changing that conversation. God, millennials. We're going to leave it to them because those of us in perimenopause can't do it alone. <laughs> oh, Alisa, thank you so much. Thanks this for having amazing, me. Amazing, amazing, amazing. We're going to send people to your apps and to your sites and to your books and just like wait for the next piece of genius to come out of your mouth. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's always fun to chat. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our daily blend blog to see what we're drinking.